Hello and welcome to Cruise Club. We've got the need, the need to podcast. This is episode eight, very fitting for our intro, Top Gun from 1986. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And with us today, we have who used to be our resident year 2000 action film expert, Dan the Duke Hayden. However, he is now just our resident action film expert. Hello, please welcome Dan the Duke Hayden. Ooh, well, thank you for the new title. Great balls of fire there, Joey. <laughs> Glad to have you here to talk about this wonderful, wonderful movie. So here's so here's something that I think, I think I said to Mike when we were doing our intro. I obviously know a lot of Top Gun. I've seen a lot of Top Gun because who hasn't seen a lot of this movie? I didn't know if I'd ever seen it from start to finish. Having watched it tonight, I still don't know because (laughs) there's not a ton of plot. Nope. Like everything that I knew, it was all the main beats. Like I knew that Goose spoil- spoilers. I knew that Goose died. I knew that there was the take my breath away sex scene. I knew that you know he does the upside down flipping the bird. Like I know all of the main things. I might have seen this. I don't know. What I do know, I love it. Yeah, I definitely didn't remember a ton of this. I mean, like you said, there's very there's a ton of iconic moments in this mm-hmm. movie. Early too, like it starts with a bang. But yeah, it's I forgot how super thin it was. So things like Maverick's father's storyline, like I had forgotten all that. I've forgotten a lot of the emotional stuff, like after Goose is out of the movie. Um, I just remembered a lot of kick-ass fighter jet action, playing the crappy Nintendo game as a little kid as well. So um, very prevalent growing up. This movie. Yeah, I remember seeing this movie when I was really, really little, and I remember. Specifically, somebody fast-forwarding through the sex scene, so I didn't remember that. It's only three shots. I was surprised how short and sort of tasteful it was. So apparently they showed this movie to test audiences. They did not like that there was not a sex scene. That they're like, they need to, they need, like, there needs to be more, like, physical chemistry between the hmm. two of them. So they shot it and they edited it in, but they only had, like, four minutes or something to shoot it, so, like, they just did it very, very quickly. So that's why there's only a couple shots, because they only had literally a few minutes to yeah. shoot this scene. It almost seemed like one shot cut up into three shots too so well with the amount of times that they play take my breath away and the amount of sexual (laughs) tension between not just those two characters but pretty much every character in the movie like i remember i I wrote it in my notes like oh my god just fucking bang already yeah that was something so okay she she invites him over charlie who is the instructor the kelly mm-hmm. mcgillis character who's an astrophysicist which yes. i totally forgot which PhD. is great she invites him over to her house even though she quote never does this although i wonder it does feel like they have an actual bond but i also wonder mike if she's a little bit of a miss mcgill like oh i never no. do this when every eight has a new guy i know i think it's interesting like you know there's a whole bar scene we'll talk about you got that love and feeling crash and burn or not but i think when she finds out he's sort of the guy who faced down the mig all bets are off and she gets a little more taken and sort of has her little cat and mouse game that she plays on him. So she invites him over to her house, even though they never, she never does this. They have this moment and like they're out on the patio. They apologize to each other and Berlin kicks in. I'm like, here, they're going to bang. And then he's like, I'm going to take a shower. And then he leaves. And I was like, what? Like, how is this not that scene? Yeah. And they had just talked about his dead father and how it's classified. He's got no one. It's the perfect moment. And and then, nope, Tony Scott's like, no, he's going to go shower back at the base and they'll bump into each other in the elevator. I'm like, 
okay, they're going to bang in the elevator. It's going to be like one of those 80 moments where he presses mm-hmm. the red button. Nope. And so apparently that scene in the elevator is another little behind-the-scenes thing. There's so much trivia about this movie, and I tried to really pare it down. So if you want to go on IMDb, if you want to know all about the, the flights and the planes and everything that they did in this movie, you can check out IMDb. What I sort of kept for the trivia that I'll sort of be sprinkling in tonight is mostly about Tom Cruise, about the characters, about the actors. That scene in the elevator they filmed after the fact because they needed sort of like that, like, it's not, it's a different day, like that, that kind of like post-coital or sort of that like sexually charged whatever. And so Tom Cruise had like, was filming The Color of Money, had like a different hairstyle, different hair color. Oh, wow. uh, Kelly McGillis had changed her hair entirely. That's why she's in that ball cap that you can't see like her hair. Like that was like an after the fact, like, a, oh, we need to add a bridge here between Berlin scenes basically oh that's interesting it's strange it's the one time in the film she like doesn't have her hair out when she's in the elevator she just got like that that top gun or actually i don't remember if it's a top gun hat or not but it seemed a little out of place i always thought that that transition was a little jarring but it worked and like i think part of that is a testament to like how little like actual sort of story is going on and how much other time we spend sort of in competition or at school and stuff so like whatever they're giving me with the relationship like i'm eating it up just because there's not a lot of it really you know so like i thought the scene worked really well because these these two really do have good chemistry together and i figured like oh yeah she would dressed down like that because she can because she's at flight school and they wear those aviator glasses and those big hats and the jackets and stuff so i mean the look she kind of reminded me of like carol danvers or something like that yeah. right? she had a kind of a captain marvel thing rocking with that with that jacket on i like how she has a code name even though she's a civilian that, yeah. that that's one thing i didn't remember when i was a kid it's just like oh really I, I, I thought you had to kind of be like in the club in the navy to do that speaking of which I always remember this movie as an Air Force movie as a child and did not realize it was a Navy movie until watching it as an adult. Even yeah. Though- yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was always a little shady on, you know, what branch of the military is responsible for what exactly, because it seems like the Navy should just be dealing with boats, but they're flying in the air and Army also flies planes, but they're not called the Air Force. So, Like, there's tons of numbers, going back to the trivia, about, like, how much this movie boosted Naval recruitment. I would like to see the numbers on how it boosted Air Force recruitment since they were flying planes and dogfights. Yeah, and I mean, it is pretty much like a two-hour commercial for the Navy. <laughs> which is the same thing as Firebirds, which Cage would do four years later. So I, oh, I yeah. so there's a lot of trivia and information about people who chose not to act in this movie because they thought it was just war propaganda, that they thought it glorified war, that it glorified the army. A lot of people who just didn't want to be a part of that. There is trivia, though, that the U.S. Navy set up recruiting booths in major cinemas to try and catch some of the adrenaline-charged guys leaving the screenings, and they had the highest application rates for years as a result. So very clearly, like, you know, Mm -hmm. I want to look beautiful, have the coolest lines, get the hottest girls, sign me up for the Navy. (laughs) Yeah, you know, there's no denying that, but, like, does it work like that for you guys? Like, do you guys feel... I mean, I think this movie's cool as hell, you know, but I'm aware that this is not what reality is. Like, this is, you know, like, we are not all... But you're also not an 18-year-old dude who's seeing it with his buddies, you know what I mean? Like, But even when I was, like, an 18-year-old kid or, like, a you know, an impressionable youth and stuff. And I did see this as a little kid a lot, you know, and I would watch it a lot, but I was never, you know, I never wanted to join any branch of the military. I didn't have the urge to fly. I didn't get the need for speed um, or any of that. I just saw it as entertainment, I guess, you know, I'd never thought that this was how it would really be. I just thought it was like sensationalized. 
Oh boy, there's always one in the room. And when I was a kid, I saw this movie. My uh, my uncle was also a, he was a navigator in Nam for planes. I kind of always looked up to him. I saw this movie when I was I must have been like six or seven years old. Yeah, I really wanted to be a fighter pilot, guys. Oh no, I'm not. I, I, don't say that there's one in the room. Like if I saw this when I was like. 13, 14, I would have wanted to do it too, I think. Like, I don't think there's anything that's not super fucking cool about this movie. Like, I want to be Maverick, but I don't want to be, like, Maverick of the sky. Like, you know, like, I maybe when we get around to Days of Thunder, that'll be more of, like, I want to go out and be, like, a race car driver or something. Okay. Do it in that sense or anything. But I was always very sort of, like, we'll get into how, like, the action basically takes place in the sky. Like, when I was a kid, that was the stuff that, like, sort of shook me the most and, like, I don't want to say scared me or anything, but, like, that was where I was like, well, that's the part I don't want to do like i'm glad i can just sort of watch that as a civilian and and experience it vicariously through the film or something they kind of deter it too, kind of show you the darker side cougar in the first scene freaks out because that mig had a missile lock on him and he just completely loses his shit and also goose dies and so like it's it's not i mean it's glamorous but it's not purely glamorous and i think the the other thing to keep in mind is that these are the top 1% of the students, right? So, right. like, not only do you have to get into the Navy and then get into the flight program, but you also have to be better than 99% of other people to get here. And even when you're here, it's not all glitz and glamour. You know what I mean? Like, you're still great at your job, but there are still issues. And so yeah. it's, you know, it's a difficult road to... I guess it's sort of, in a way, being in the center fielder for the New York Yankees or whatever, right? Like, you have to play up through T-ball, then through Little League, and then through high school then through college ball, then through the minors. And like you have to keep being better than 99% of your competition to finally get to a point where there's a little bit of fame and notoriety and stuff attached. But even then, it's not always great. So, you know, these guys, like they're all pretty much psychos, like for the most part, like you have to be really like an adrenaline junkie. Like, you know, I think of the guy who did the uh, free solo, right? Like watching that documentary is like, well, yeah, that guy acts in a very specific way. And that is sort of what enables him part of his personality is what enables him to do what he can do like those amazing feats and stuff and i feel like it's the same with these dudes and when we get to top gun maverick is an amazing pilot but it turns out like i mean certain circumstances get in the way but he doesn't even graduate top of the class like there's other guys there like Iceman, who are even or as nuts or crazier or willing to go just as far as maverick so like that one percent is like a super elite sort of class too so like pressure and the stress and that stuff and maybe that's where all the sweating came into play and everything (laughs) oh my god it's like it got me feeling nervous and sweating and being like wow i i couldn't handle that pressure everybody is sweating in this film or making an awkward i just pooped face when they're in a flight turn like i think like the 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 face that when tom cruise especially in that like those first that first scene when he does like a turn he gives that like hoop like oh no it's about to come out face and and it stays with them for the whole movie anytime he's He's flying. There's at least one scene or one little second where he gives that that very cringy, cringy face. Yeah, I think they all there's some really great upper face acting because they're wearing there's a lot of cockpit shots. You know, most of the movie, they're just flying in the in the, in the cockpit and everything. And most of the time they are wearing the, the masks, too. So you can only kind of see their eyes. But everybody's really expressive. Like even, you know, you can tell when you're looking at Michael Ironside's eyes or Tom Cruise's eyes or whoever, like everybody's really distinct. Except for the MiGs. The MiG pilots have no <laughs> Intentionally, they're just the enemy. Right? Exactly. None of the, the, the cockpit scenes were filmed in the air. I mean, I know they went up in the air for, for training purposes, and I know a bunch of them threw up, but 
they didn't they weren't filming while they were actually in the air were they no i don't think i think they all went up from what i read they all went up the only person who did not throw up was goose i bet they go up for top gun too i bet tom cruise insists that we film a, sh- a scene of him actually in the cockpit. Well, I don't know if he really had that kind of pull yet. I think that he went, he definitely went up there. Like, there was this story about how he went up there with this guy whose call sign was Bozo, and, like, he having a difficult... Let's just say he was having a difficult time in the back of the pilot, uh, back of the plane, about to vomit, trying to get this guy's attention. And Bozo, I think, saw that. Flew in such a way that, like, Tom Cruise's, like, whole body and his head, like, were on the floor, like, just like the... The G-Force or whatever was another Cage movie was on the floor. <laughs> and by the time like they, they leveled out, Cruz was like, couldn't you see that I was having problems? I was trying to signal you. And he's like, they don't call me Bozo for nothing. So I think Tom Cruise definitely went up there. I don't think that they filmed anything really for the movie up in the sky. The, the stuff that they filmed up there were all actual fighter pilots, actual stunt pilots, you know, military men, people who went on to become astronauts. Like Everything that's up in the sky, I don't think the actors were anything near. Uh, I think everything was sort of in a controlled environment, just so they knew what it was like up there. But it's still whatever, what, however they filmed it, whatever, however they edited it, it's great. It's awesome. Yeah, this yeah. is a really pretty movie. Oh, this movie is gorgeous, and it was on. It's uh, well, I watched it on Amazon Prime, and so like it, it's the first time I had ever seen this in widescreen. I think like in its actual aspect ratio, and yeah, what a beautiful movie. I mean, you know. This is crazy too, Joey, because back to back, Tom Cruise has worked with Ridley Scott and now Tony Scott. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Um, it is and pretty cool. Tony Scott always made a great looking movie, man. So uh, he is well missed. May he rest in power. And then Tony Scott would come back to direct Days of Thunder too, which is just a, a few a few movies down the line. So another you know Tony Scott joint. Yeah, man, this movie is super cool. Like I understand. And this is a conversation we've already had here a little bit, and we've had throughout both the Firebirds episode and the Firebirds Revisited episode. Like, I understand that this movie is fully propaganda, and I just don't care. The characters are fleshed out enough to be, like, realistic and interesting. The dynamic between everybody is cool. You know, Iceman is, like, this sort of distant, like, we don't know a lot about him, but we know he's kind of an asshole, but also kind of just, like, great at his job. Like, everything about this is just, we know enough to make it worthy of caring about these characters that like when Meg Ryan shows up in her film debut, when Meg Ryan shows up as Mrs. Goose and then Goose dies, like we, we feel for her. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it just, there's not deep, deep, deep characterization, but there's enough here to have us care about the characters. The actors are charming enough. There's enough fleshed out that it's just, you feel connected to these guys. Yeah, I was really surprised actually, you know, rewatching it this time because I thought it would play much more like a commercial because it is extremely thin. There's really not a lot of story going on here and what there is is like very typical of what you get at the time like best friend relationships like alpha rival like new it's almost like going like someone going to a new school and having to deal you know what i'm saying like deal with all the uh Mm -hmm. other students and stuff i mean there's there's like familiar stuff going on but then also just like the talent involved is crazy like we mentioned how beautiful this movie looks like it's shot amazingly Uh, and the actors are really great to the point where they can play shorthand so quickly and it just feels like everybody tom cruise and anthony edwards feel like lifelong friends like they just have such a great rapport i think that's why maybe this stands out as opposed to like unfortunately like cage and Tommy lee jones in firebirds or something because they just don't have the support around them i never really saw this first and foremost as a military film i just thought of it as like a cool action movie to be honest like 
but what did I know? So let us talk about uh, Mr. Tom Cruise, and let's talk about the timeless cool of Tom Cruise. Uh, just the way that he looks, like the, the, the aviators, the Ray-Bans. The motorcycle. The jacket, the motorcycle, which he learned how to ride for this movie. The sweat. The sweat, the, the shirtless <laughs> volleyball scene. If you're listening to this podcast, you might know that we have another Tom Tom Club, the other half of the Tom Tom Club, is the Hanks for the Memories podcast. And so far, not really been enamored. I've not been enamored by the Tom Hanks movies. I know that we're going to get the movies that I love. They're, those are coming. So far, not crazy about them. Here already, eight episodes in. This and Risky Business are two, like, all-timers. I don't know which one I like more. I love them both. Just to have two such, like, iconic, cool roles in his first eight movies, in his first six years of acting, it's just crazy. Like, it's it's incredible, I feel, how quickly we got here. It's similar, I think, how Cage got there, that, you know, he was doing Valley Girl in year two, or year three, or whatever. But, like, he's just, he's the, he's the guy. He's action star Tom Cruise, eight things into his career. It's amazing. How old is he at this point, when Top Gun is made? I want to say 22? That's so funny, because... No, no, sorry, 23, 24. One of the reasons why they didn't give Charlie Sheen this role is because they said he looked, or he was, too young. And he was only 24 when he did this. He'll play uh, this role in Hot Shots eventually, pretty much. (laughs) This is what I think of when I thought of Tom Cruise, like, growing up. Like, this was the movie that imprinted on me who he was, you know what I'm saying? Like, as an actor and stuff, I'd be like, oh, because maybe this was, like, the first movie of his that I actually saw or, like, was, like, really into or, like, could really watch, you know? I remember on the Legend episode, I talked about, you know, spending most of the time in the lobby because I was just, like, a five- or six-year-old and didn't understand what was happening. I like that movie a lot now. As I was growing up, uh, every time I'd hear the name Tom Cruise, I would think of Maverick. I'd think of him. I mean, this is, you're right, like, he's almost fully formed. Like, you could put this guy up against Ethan Hunt. And I think, like, that's why when they do Top Gun 2, it'll be good because this character is a full character. Like, he's really into this one. I would love to see what he's been up to if he's been teaching at that school this whole time or what the hell's been going on. So here's a little bit. Let's play a game. I don't know if either of you have looked at Tom Cruise's IMDb page lately, but you know on IMDb, they have the top four titles that someone is known for, right? Like the things, not necessarily their biggest movies or their biggest roles, but it's, I guess, what people search for. I think if you have an IMDb Pro account, you can change what shows up there. But... Generally speaking, it's the four things they're best known for. Anybody want to guess Tom Cruise's top four IMDb known fours? This, yeah, is one for of them. sure. This is number sure one. Top, top Gun, number one. Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible Two is number Whoa. four. Jerry Maguire. Jerry Maguire is number three, Great and number call. two, I feel, is a very diff. I don't, I don't know that you're gonna get it, but number two is a difficult one. It's not an obvious one, I don't think. Is it? Did you mention it earlier in the show? Is it The Color of Money? It is not, no. Scorsese, okay. Is it Cocktail? Nope. I don't know why I want to say Vanilla Sky, but I can't nope. be. I guess because you're, you're guessing what you're guessing because I said it's a weird one. But it's, yeah. it's, I don't know if it's an obscure movie. He's he's definitely the star of this movie. Uh, it's one, it's sort of, I would guess, in the back half of his career. But it's not one that I, like when you think Tom Cruise, like you rattle off maybe 10, 15 movies. I don't know that you would name this movie. Unless, here's a hint, Mike. Holly Gore might name this movie, if that gives you a hint. <laughs> Alright, I've got two guesses. Wait, Go for it. not Legend. <laughs> no, not Legend. Oh, man. 
War of the Worlds. War of the Worlds, no. Uh, the Last Samurai. The Last Samurai, number no. two. Wait, number that's, two? Oh, that's insane. Number one, Top Gun. Number two, Last Samurai. Number three, Jerry Maguire. Number four, Mission Impossible 2. I don't know why. I just report mm. the facts. I mean, he did Valkyrie, but has he done a lot of like true story things? Because that's based on a actual events, right? Like Maybe that's part of it, is that it's like more of Tom Cruise. I guess, you like, know, American actual... Made also based on true events, right? This is also, in a sense, like these characters are based on real people. Like Charlie's based on a real person, and Maverick is based on a real. Per- Maverick's actually oh, that's right. so Maverick is based on the guy Pete Pettigrew, who what? is the guy, the old gentleman, older gentleman that is with Charlie in that bar when when he shows up and he sings, "You've lost that love and feeling." Oh. She's like, "My friends are here," and she goes, "So the guy, that oh, guy, wait. is the guy that Maverick is based off." That's of. perfect. Then she ditches Maverick for the real Maverick. Yeah. Wait, did you say Peter Pettigrew? It's a Harry Potter name. I know. <laughs> is it really? Yeah. There's, if you look at the credits, there's all of the actual pilots have some crazy call signs. Like There's one or two like Viper and stuff that are actually in the movie, and I suppose they're also all based off or an amalgam of such characters and people. But yeah, it's cool. Like You could go check out the credits and see like who who's real name had what real call sign. And if I guess if I had to pick a call sign, it might be Nemesis. I don't know. I've been trying well, to think question. of a cool yeah, one. What, what would your call sign be? Nemesis is a pretty cool one. There is the one that there's they, they reference in here, Ghost Rider, which is, you know, of course important to us, but also a pretty <laughs> yeah. cool pretty cool call sign. I thought, is that, or is that what they call, because, like, they call Tom Cruise that once or twice, right? Like, and he wants to do the flyby, so I thought maybe that was what you call, like, a plane that's not part of your aircraft carrier or whatever i don't know i was a little confused about where he was flying by because like at the end especially i was like are there two aircraft carriers out there and he sort of clipped the other one but i don't know just just to get into that really quickly when when they call ghost rider and it's like oh who's up there maverick and goose like the commanding officer is like oh great like he says it like oh it's the two edgy pilots oh no yeah which i love like that's characterization yes. off the bat like we know that they are good i mean we know that everyone is good but we know that they're probably better than average well, and that they're also hot shots they're the assholes yeah exactly yeah. and it's throughout the entire movie that's hammered home like he's reckless he's flying with the ghost of his father he's trying to compete with his father trying to compete with his past and yet yeah. he can't get kicked out just because he's great like he's a great pilot like that was a thing I, I was taken by this time watching it was like how much i was like i kind of don't like maverick as a person like he is kind of a cocky shit and like he's a prick and stuff but then you come to realize oh wait like he can be because he's that good like it takes me like most of the movie to kind of come around to him and then when we get more into obviously when goose passes and he falls into like a deep depression and everything like i'm pulling for the guy like i really feeling for him you know like i, I started the movie like not kind of liking him but totally by the end i was like wow this guy's awesome yeah straight up he's a dick i mean like he's he's going after this girl he makes this big spectacle in a bar what does he refer to the bar as target rich environment and oh, then yeah, yeah. and then he follows her into the goddamn bathroom not okay dude that's not up to 2019 standards i thought that i was I was worried about that. Yeah, but, it t- turned know. out to be... It's funny, though, that it turned out to be his teacher, too. So, like, there's just a whole other level of inappropriateness Yep. now. He's just like, dude... <laughs> and not to make that behavior okay, because it's not... But we, we find out... We don't know it at the time. We find out when she leaves the bathroom that she is game for this kind of bullshit and, like, used to it, because without even prompting, she says to Goose, your friend was magnificent. Like, I know what you're trying to do. I know there's probably some kind of dumb bet or, like, you know, your young studs who are trying to, like, bag the women or whatever, and, like, 
just I'm going to feed to the fuel to that fire. You know what I mean? Like I feel yeah. it's not okay by any stretch of the imagination, but she's resilient enough or she's dealt with this enough, whether she is a Miss McGill type character or not, that she knows that these guys are just going to go after her just because she's an attractive blonde at a bar and they're all around dudes all the time. I just like that she sort of has that thick skin and then only lets in maybe for the first time ever or maybe once every eight weeks or whatever, Maverick into her heart. She's a surprisingly complex character for how thin the plot is. They give her kind of a little bit, almost the most to work with besides, you know, Tom Cruise's character who's got, you know, the haunted past and, you know, the the, the ghost of his, his father chasing him and this talent and the responsibility for his, for Goose. She's very smart. She knows what she wants. She knows that he has something that she wants. She also knows that she's developing feelings for him. I, I just, I like the character a lot. A lot more than most of the, the male characters in the movie, which are a little one-dimensional. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely like her. I like how she, they have a woman in a position of power in charge of, like, all these, you know, like, alphas and stuff. Like, no, like, she is the leader here. I loved, I forgot that she was a PhD in astrophysics. I mm-hmm. think, like, that's great. Like, you know, right off the bat, like, she's strong, she can handle herself. And yeah, she's probably dealt with, unfortunately, had to deal with, like, hundreds of assholes, like, all the time. Well, what she, she says that there's 20 new students every eight weeks, right? Like, it's like, mm-hmm. it's a lot, It's that's a lot of assholes yeah. very quickly. I also love how I do think... Maverick got to her a little bit, and she is playing the game a little bit, but like more on her terms. Like she's sort of leading it and stuff. And it's interesting you mentioned that they had to film that sex scene because I was wondering, couldn't their relationship be platonic? Like nowadays, it would play a lot better, but in the '80s, like you probably just had executives screaming at them, like, "When are they going to kiss? They kiss on the side of the road, like an hour into them. Like, what's going on with their relationship?" There's something about that too. So I, it, I don't know if it was an executive thing. I mean, I think it was just the the test audiences, but that. That scene where he, where Tom Cruise kisses her after she's like yelling at him, apparently that was an ad lib that he forgot his line and just kissed her, and Tony Scott liked it so much that he kept it in there. So I think even if it doesn't develop, like even if the movie heads in a direction where it doesn't develop into a sexual relationship, I think that that could still happen, and then like you can sort of chalk it up to like, oh, that was just a one-time thing that's never going to happen again. I think it works platonically. I just think if that's what the audience wants, they want to make the audience happy. This is also a yeah. massive, massive hit. The number one grossing movie in 1986, $15 million budget, worldwide made like 360. Like, this is a huge hit. Wow. So if the audience wants a sex scene, give them a sex scene. I can see, like, especially because it's a it's a very male-dominated movie, that, like, all the main characters are guys. Um, but yeah, every single one of the main characters, most of the speaking roles are guys, except for, I guess, Meg Ryan. You had to give this female character some power, which I, which I love, that she's really, really intelligent and and deliberate but yeah i think i think this kind of could have worked could have worked as a platonic relationship between the two of them i'm interested to see if she comes back for part two or what happened to her care if we get any kind of drop line i'm not crazy like that movie's coming right like it is 2020 i think it's tom cruise and miles teller um, who i you know not 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 crazy about around here kelly mcgillis has requested a cameo in the new movie i don't know if that's happening or not there was at the time of this movie because it had been such a big hit there was talks about a a sequel back then like Mm -hmm. way back in the 80s right it broke down in pre-production because the military tech had become so advanced they didn't want to show the film crew what that was and sort of leak their secrets to the world which is kind of I feel like you could maybe work around that, but that's a thing. More importantly, I guess, Cold Tom Cruise. Mentality. 
Tom Cruise did not want to do a sequel, and then was like, okay, I'll do a sequel if you pay... And I don't know what the number... I don't know what this amount of money is, but I will do a sequel if you pay me X amount of money. And they're like, okay, cool. And then the studio was like, that's too much money. And so even though this movie made 360 on a $15 million budget, whatever number he had demanded, they were like, no, no, no. But here mm-hmm. we are, 34 years later, when it's coming out next year in 2020, we're finally getting a Top Gun 2, so... Well, back then, I mean, there were three Iron Eagle movies, right? So if you oh, could, God. if you needed to whet your appetite for more fighter pilot action, I guess you could go watch those. The first one's not bad, but I, I, I yet to see the other two. Is Kelly uh, McGillis still... I mean, the last thing I remember seeing her in, she was on Z, an episode of Z Nation. Is she still doing movies? I don't think she's an actress anymore. I didn't remember her from anything, to be quite honest, except for this movie. I never saw her again. I remember her in The Accused with Jodie Foster. I don't know if she's still acting. You said you looked her up on IMDb. Is she still doing stuff recently or no? She's doing TV movies. She did a TV movie last year. She did one the year before that. She was on The L Word. So she and Tom Cruise on the set of this movie did not get along, which I sort of feel... uh, isn't the first time that we've had people, you know, people, it seems it's like it's kind of mixed, right? Like, yeah, it people seems either like he, love working with him or don't at all. Or it just seems like he's either like on set kind of butting heads or he's like completely like sort of like by himself, like not with the crew or crowd or anything. Well, that's what I read for this is that apparently he he decided that between takes he was going to be completely isolated from everybody. Mm-hmm. And apparently that's why the, the rivalry between him and Val Kilmer works so well. Because they just didn't even... Well, first of all, Val Kilmer didn't even want to be there. He had to be in this movie because of contractional... Uh, yeah, really? It's one of his he's most iconic great. roles. And yeah, he didn't he's even electric. want to be there. There's two romances. So Kelly McGillis fell for Wolfman. They started dating. They dated for a couple of years. And also Meg Ryan and Anthony Edwards, Meg Ryan and Goose, Goose and Mrs. Goose, became an item after film and concluded. Oh, that's um, adorable. So this movie led to a couple of romances, just, you know, not Tom Cruise. Who was Wolfman? Was Wolfman the guy from... Who's returning from losing it? Isn't one of the guys from losing it? There's a couple guys from losing the it. The army There's guy, John Stockwell and Rick Rosovich. So That's this guy right. is not. Yes. But the one guy, his buddy, was the guy from the beginning, right? Who had the MIG in his sight and like sort of couldn't hack it anymore. That was his buddy from losing it, who wanted to go see the donkey show. Or something. I think so. <laughs> oh my god! So Wolfman in this movie is the guy who, after Tom Cruise quits. He calls and somebody's like, Maverick just quit. So that's Wolfman. He's got a small part oh, in this movie, yeah, but yeah. he hit it off with Kelly McGillis in this movie, and they uh, dated for a couple of years. It's weird. There's like two or three scenes where rando sort of students kind of either like pat him on the back and be like, I don't care what anyone says, like, you're awesome, or whatever, or, or will like relay information to people, be like a go-between and stuff, and like, I thought that was kind of funny. It's just a way to sort of like pepper in all these different faces and everything, because everybody, yeah. even if you don't know them, like, everybody looks pretty distinct for a bunch of white guys like i was pretty surprised like how different like everybody was well yeah because that's that's the thing like i was just talking to somebody today about dunkirk and about how everyone in dunkirk looks exactly the same where i had to ask my sister like every 10 minutes is like is that harry styles i still don't know who harry styles is in that movie i know he's in there somewhere (laughs) go listen to our review i don't think we ever find out (laughs) the only one i can identify is barry keoghan because he was also in the killing of sacred deer and I saw him in person. He came to Fantastic Fest when I saw that movie. So I know what he looks like. I know him. Everyone else in Dunkirk is just like a 20-year-old white boy, and I don't know who they are. Here, they all kind of have the slicked hair and whatever, and they're all just kind of uh, hot shots, basically, but they're distinct enough, both in personality and call sign and the helmets and 
the way that, that they act helps. and the way that they talk yeah. and the way that they move, and it's good characterization. Yeah, call signs definitely help because they start calling each other by their call signs. Like, I forgot Tom Cruise's real name was even said in this movie, but it is, like, several times, you know? And, like, I, I finally caught it by, like, the end of the movie and everything. But, no, like, everybody is, you know, Slider or Goose or whatever, you know? Sundown. Like, even, sundown, right. Like, even in the locker room, whatever, like, that helps so much, like you're saying, just to characterize them. Yeah, the helmets especially. If that's a real thing that the Navy does, then okay. But if someone just decided, like if they didn't do that, oh, let's paint the helmets to give these actors more character, that that guy needs a medal because it's like absolutely goalie masks, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm a big fan of hockey, and I, I think the goalie mask is – it's gotten to the point where, you know, the goalie – shows the picture of the mask he's going to wear like on Twitter before the season starts. Like, look what this artist did for me. Like, it's a big personality feature. You know, I don't know if we talked about, I mean, we mentioned earlier, we mentioned Miss McGill from Youngblood. Youngblood. Uh, we mentioned with before. Swayze. Yes, with Swayze and Rob Lowe. We mentioned Youngblood before with Miss McGill, but I don't know if I mentioned on the podcast, when I went to Toronto over the summer and I met up with Lindsay Gibb on the Winona Forever podcast, go check that podcast out. I went to the Hockey Hall of Fame and there's a hallway. Duke, have you been to the, Duke, have you been to the Hockey Hall of Fame in Toronto? Or I no? have. It's glorious. So there's that hallway of the goalie masks, which is super cool. Yeah. That there's like these blue lights just illuminating behind the goalie masks and there's real hockey masks that shows the evolution basically from what looked like the Jason mask all the way up to you know modern day like Duke was talking about you know what is super cool is that they also have like fictional characters and so Keanu's goalie mask from Youngblood is in that hallway and I saw him I took a picture with it like it's just super cool so anyway bring it full circle back to to Keanu but there's a lot of great like like slap shot right was there any sort of Paul Newman stuff up on that wall or anything, but yeah. There's a couple of different things in the Hockey Hall. I mean, whoever, you know, has put together the Hockey Hall of Fame, whether it's, you know, the NHL or they take a lot of time to pay attention to detail and they like to throw stuff like that in. I believe there is something in the Hockey Hall of Fame for Slapshot. It's been many years since I've been there. Even in, like I mentioned earlier, like Captain Marvel, like her call sign is, we find out at the end, is Avenger. Mm-hmm. Um, and her yep. friend, like, so that th- those are real, but, like, I would like to find out if the helmet thing was real, if that was a director's sort of touch, because that works so well. And you don't see that in a lot of other stuff. Like, who else does, like, it's not like catchers in baseball deck out their helmets. They should, but they don't, you know, but there's not a lot of other opportunities. Like, the quarterback, I guess, you know, you know, could he sort of deck out his helmet just to stand out more? Does he need to? But it's just really cool. Like, I, I like that idea. The quarterback doesn't need any more reasons to be picked out in the crowd to get tackled. I, I, I seriously doubt they would want to make themselves <laughs> even more uh, noticeable. So let's talk about the volleyball scene. Okay. <laughs> Which, there's, no, there's not a single woman in that scene. It's all dudes. Mm-hmm. All dudes, Watching like, looking dudes. at their watch. He doesn't want to be late for his date. Yeah, he never should have started that game if he knew he was going to be late for that date. Bunch of shirtless friends... Having a little friendly competition in front of in front of a bunch of other guys at the beach. I don't know if you guys have ever been on YouTube and searched the Quentin Tarantino rant about this that was in some unfinished movie or something. I don't know some movie I think called like The Birthday Party. There's a clip of Tarantino. I think he wrote it. I'm not sure, but he's like breaking down this scene and it's sort of like you know sexual charge <laughs> playing with the boys. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so. He- Another thing, I'm glad you reminded me. How would you feel as Kenny Loggins, who's got multiple songs in this movie? This is an Oscar, this is an Academy Award winning film for Best Original Song. 
not a Kenny Loggins song. It's Berlin's Take My Breath Away, yeah. which I did not know was written for this movie. But, like, Kenny Loggins got the theme song. He's got Playing With The Boys. And yet the theme, the song that, that people take away from this movie, award-winning, is Berlin. Like, that's got to be tough. It's got to be really hard Consider, I mean, how many songs did he have in the movie? And did he did he help, like, write the the original theme song, you know, the... Like the score, too? The score, yeah. Did he help with any of that? I don't think so. I think that was a different guy. I don't remember his name. I can look that up in a second. When I think of this movie, I think of Danger Zone, but I understand why it's Take My Breath Away. But that's also crazy, Joey, because it's just another in a long line of Tom Tom club movies that had songs written for him like it's almost every movie so far it's insane funny enough uh, i of course think of danger zone and i think of take my breath away and i op- uh, the opening theme like like the score is awesome but like this was the first time i ever heard sitting on the edge of the dock really i yeah it was like five or six or seven years old man i, mean, I forget i forget <laughs> when because i i forget what what songs i heard for the first time in films too that's one of my favorite songs and and i do remember hearing it not remember hearing it for the first time watching the movie but i do remember that the first time i heard it was watching the movie i think you lost that love and feeling it's just the first time i heard that song so i yeah i get that it's another good one so the first time we ever heard the song was not the actual song but it was a poorly done karaoke version without a yeah, backing track pretty much i think the same thing in ghost that's the first time i heard that song the uh, the famous righteous brothers i think now let me ask you guys have you, have you guys ever attempted to pick up a woman in any type of fashion like that, or try to get a group of other people to sing behind you in hopes of winning a woman's heart. What do they used to call it? Like serenading something, yeah. right? Yeah. Like that used to be the, the word for it. No, not that I am like shy or anything, but like it just doesn't seem appropriate, really. Well, so here's the thing. So just the same way I think that Kelly McGillis's character, the Charlie says, I don't date students. Tom Cruise is like, I've only done this once. And very clearly, if there's a microphone ready at the bar and they know enough for the whole bar to quiet down and he and Goose start singing and then the entire bar joins in, this is very, really not the second time. Maybe it is. Maybe we want to give his character the benefit of the doubt. But I feel like this has been a thing that's been going on and on and on. But to answer your question, Duke, no, I have not done this. But maybe I should because it works, I guess. Kind of. I remember watching this as a kid thinking everybody just knows this song because it's like they're all fighter pilots and they love this song and so like i didn't know exactly what was going on but it's sort of one of those grease moments where like everyone just like joins in the musical part of it i guess it's freaking hilarious that you say that bud because i because as a kid i i never heard the real she's lost you lost that loving feeling you said grease I always thought that they were singing some random song that I didn't know, and then at the end they were doing, you know, like the grease thing, the do do, do do, do do. I thought that was grease when I was a kid. Summer loving. <laughs> yeah. Let us go now. And we've talked about a lot of things that we like about this movie, but to, to bring it back to the format of the show, Duke, what is your favorite moment? in Top Gun. If you have to pick one thing, one line, one scene, what is your favorite moment in this movie? It's a tie between three things. One, anything that Michael Ironsides does, because I love (laughs) Michael Ironsides. Two, when he comes down inverted and flips off the MiG in the beginning of the movie. And three, when he explains to the Top Gun classroom and to Charlie, she's like, "How, how did you possibly see it? And he's like, because I was inverted. Like, love it. It's it's awesome. I want to use it in everyday life. Mike, what about you? Yeah, tough call. Like, there's a lot of 
great little moments throughout this whole movie. It really got me. Like, at the end, like, what I really liked was how after they graduated, they all sort of go on this mission. Um, it's like this recovery mission, and they have to fight off the actual MiGs out mm-hmm. there, and it becomes a real dogfight. Like, I thought that was pretty awesome. Like, I I knew we were building up to something cool, but I had forgotten, like, how well choreographed and how easy it was to follow. You know, I was a little worried watching the movie during the training exercises that I was going to not be able to track the action because, like, things flying around in the sky, you know, you're on every axis, so it's like, it just seems like it would be a lot harder to direct and keep track of, but... I gotta say, like, it was fucking thrilling, man. Like, that was a great dogfight. Like, when Maverick finally goes up there to, like, save the day, gets his nerve back and shit, and, like, makes all the the scores, and he's like, you know, I've, I've got, I've only got one missile left and everything, and it's like, ah, gotta get it off, and I just, just that whole sequence, I think, was great. I just love the way this movie climaxed, and then, of course, you know, when we get back onto the, uh, onto the aircraft carrier. Well, hold on, I'm gonna, wait, wait, stop, 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 <laughs> okay. I'm gonna cut you off, because you keep talking, you're getting to my moment, okay, which I was okay. hoping you were gonna stop, I'm sorry. <laughs> and it's maybe cliche by this point nope. in, in film history, but... Iceman and Maverick have their moment together. Iceman just goes, "You," and like he looks pissed off. He's like, "You are still dangerous," and then just that's a big old Val Kilmer smile and says, "But you can be my wingman anytime." And Maverick says, "Bullshit, you can be mine." It's like this romance, <laughs> like this movie that was basically a Maverick Goose bromance, sort of sets up a feels like a sequel in which it's maybe a Maverick Iceman bromance or something. Oh, yeah. I don't know, but you know, it's this, it's. It's just this wonderful... It's, it's a love story between these two guys. Like, it feels earned in, in a lot of ways. Like, the hostility is burned off and stuff. But, like, early on, there's a moment where Maverick leaves his wingman. And there's also a, move, a moment where Iceman gets in front of Maverick's shot. So it's like, in this finale, they're all correcting their mistakes. Like, Iceman is being more of a team player. And Maverick is sticking to his man and everything. You know? And, like, they're all got each other's back for real. So, like... When they get back on the ground and they've actually won together, like they don't have to hate each other anymore. You know, like they're a team, and I feel that camaraderie. And also, like in that that scene in that moment, Maverick kind of has to kind of go with what he's learned and what he knows. You know, like there's that scene early on where he executes some maneuver in Top Gun. It shouldn't have worked, but it works out for him. There's obviously the you shouldn't have left your wingman and Viper, Viper and um, and Jester come back and get him and and Goose. That final scene has like the culmination of the things that he learned along with his instinct. Obviously he's not going to leave ice because you know, he just, he's not going to leave his wingman, but then he's going to pull the MIG in closer. And like Merlin's like, you're going to do what? what, what? <laughs> Tim Robbins, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, it freaks him out, but it ends up working. Even, even though, you know, he's, he's taking what he's learned and it's working out for him. He's still trying to fly with that instinct. Yeah, yeah, he's still being, like, impromptu, changing the plan on the fly, but being smart and doing the right thing, because he's the greatest. (laughs) I am the greatest. So one thing that I realized about this movie, and it's not as prevalent as it is in the Mission Impossible movies, but you know in the Mission Impossible movies, which we have not gotten to yet, which we not get to for ten years in Cruz's career until 1996 for the first one, you know how, like, in the Mission Impossible movies, every time they need a way out of a, a corner, 
there's the mask. Like the mask just is like, oh, there. It's a. It's not the person you thought it was. It's you know, it's the mask. I feel like the equivalent in this movie is the slam on the brakes and go up. Where like <laughs> both in the training exercise and then the end in that real battle. I know that the one sets up the other, but it's like whenever Tom Cruise is like getting tailed by somebody and like needs to get out of a sticky situation, he has the one go-to move where just like slam on the brakes, go up, get behind the guy, and then you know lock onto him. I, I don't know if I would have thought about that if it wasn't Tom Cruise. But I just think there's a funny sort of correlation between shit's hitting the fan and I got to get out of this somehow. And here's my like go to trick. I think they might even do that three times in the movie. But what I took away from that is you don't do that. Like that's extremely impossible to pull off or something like that's how it came across to me. Because the first time Goose is like, you're going to do what? I would imagine it like must it must ruin your body to be traveling like hundreds Mm. of miles an hour to basically zero and then go straight up. Like, I can't imagine the torque or whatever on your body. Yeah. So maybe like seeing Maverick do that once be like, all right, that was a once in a lifetime move. Like never do that again. It's almost like, you know, it's if I ever turn into the Hulk again I'm not going to turn back to Banner so like I'm nervous about doing that again and like so maybe he's like I might you know that's a move that you only get away with once if that were the case and they had drove that home a little harder seeing him do it again or do it all the time as his like finishing move may be a little more impressive I feel like this is a move that any type of movie with two crafts fighting each other I can't recall any off the top of my mind of course but I'm sure like there's a YouTube montage somewhere of like dozens and dozens of these i'll hit the brakes and he'll fly right by and i'll shoot him like there's got to be dozens of them i wouldn't be surprised yeah even you know to some car chase movies too and things like that but no i'm for some reason the 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 movie with jamie fox and the plane that can think for itself stealth comes to mind but like it, it must it feels like the type of movie they try and pull that move is like to outwit the stealth ai just slam on the brakes and get behind it so now duke on the on the flip side of the coin if you have to pick and maybe it's the scene where it doesn't fly in 2019 let's let's take that out of it because none of us like that scene where he follows her into the bathroom what do you have a least favorite moment in top gun i do want to say here I am delighted that this is under two-hour movie. Like, this could have been, I think, like a 215, 220, two-and-a-half-hour sort of bloated thing. I mean, it's not a tight 82 minutes or whatever of Firebirds, but I like that it's a compact movie that, like, it's, it's still, pardon the pun, flies by. Uh, but, dude, do you, have a, do you have a least favorite moment in this movie? Well, just to agree with you first, I, I am a big, big fan, especially of, like, this day and age. If your movie doesn't have to be two two hours long, and it shows in so many movies. Like, if, if you really don't need the two-hour movie mark, especially a comedy or an animated movie. Like, 130 is pushing it. 145 is really pushing it. This movie is a perfect length. For scenes I or, or parts of the movie I really don't like, there's way too much filler in between the sexual tension, like you said, that they just kind of added in the sex scene to be to, to like kind of go with it. I would have almost liked to have seen. I mean, not. I just said that the movie is the perfect length, but I almost would have like liked to have seen a little bit more interaction between Meg Ryan and Edwards and their their child. It kind of gets thrown to the wayside. Yeah, and also a guy a guy spilled coffee on himself and just proclaims that he wants some butts. <laughs> I guess I'll go with that. I don't mind the coffee and some butts thing, but I uh, I, res- I respect that choice. Mike, what about you? What's your least favorite moment in Top Gun? I think I have two now that after Duke just spoke, it made me feel like this definitely needed a scene where Goose and Meg Ryan are having a conversation about Maverick or something, or like how dangerous Top Gun is and stuff. Like some kind of foreboding just to say, you know, when he does die, make it a little extra more 
poignant or something. And to just sort of show the relationship between Meg Ryan and Maverick and why that's so strong as well. Like they care about him as family and stuff. The movie does a good job, but it's it's basically just through Meg Ryan's dialogue of being of like, oh, he told me about this. He told me about that. He told me about this. He told me about that. And then when Maverick walks away after, you know, after Meg Ryan basically embarrasses him, right? Like he always mm-hmm. gets the, the hot girls, blah, blah, blah. And then he walks away and then she turns to Charlie and she says, I wish I could tell you, like, scare you off of him. You know, I just love him so much. And I feel like those could be, and I agree with both of you, I think those could be fleshed out a little bit more. But I think considering kind of overall how compact this is and how they're sort of, the whole Goose character is kind of a secondary character in a way because he dies halfway through. And, like, his wife who shows up, you know, a third of the way through the movie is kind of a, even like a tertiary character because she's not in it a ton. Like, I feel like it could be fleshed out more, but I also do want to give it credit for, like, we get a little bit more backstory than you kind of maybe would assume that you would. Yeah. Just to kind of change my answer a little bit right now, because we were talking about Goose's death, I really like when Iceman comes into the locker room to attempt to comfort Mag Maverick, and he says, I'm sorry about Goose. Everybody liked him. I'm sorry. Yeah. It, it, like a very strange human moment for the guy who's supposed to be almost like robotic in the fact cool that he's ice, literally cold ice. As ice. I really, really like that. And that brings me to the thing that I, I, I realize I really hate about this movie. Out of nowhere, Maverick just shows up to Viper's door to his family and is somehow his wife just like knows him, I guess because of his father's connection. And he's just yeah. like, fuck it. Screw all this classified shit. I'm going to tell you what really happened to your dad because you obviously need it right now in this moment. Like, yeah, this has been hurting him and his career for the entire time he's been in the Navy. And now, like, you just decide you're going to tell him? Like, that's <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> dude, that that's crazy, Duke, because before that was like my number one problem with the movie. Like, you know, I said after I said I now I had two the the Meg Ryan missing scene. But my main problem is how they handle Maverick's dad. I think ultimately it's okay if they want to use it. It works all right. But like, it's so melodramatic. Like, it's over. It's soap opera. I didn't even realize Maverick's dad was a thing until Tom Skerritt turns around and kind of says to himself, I knew his father or some shit. And I was like, wait, what? It gets sort of peppered out throughout the film, but then that he ends up on Tom Skerritt's doorstep and is taken in like a lost puppy. And yeah, I'm going to tell you, he's like, you're right. Like, I'm going to, what? He risks like treason or a court martial or something like i'm gonna put my career on the line now but like all this time i was there in the shadows and i could have you know comforted you and your family or something like that bothered me i think what's also kind of weird is that because his dad is a thing it makes his mom a thing right like what he's opening up to charlie about is about his mom Mm -hmm. and about how like his dad's death like impacted her and like that's a whole added thing i do wonder though like Obviously, we, we find out in this movie because it kind of it's needed in a sense for the movie closure or whatever. Yes, maybe it should have happened before. But I wonder if, you know, he and Charlie start dating. She's got this like super high military clearance. I wonder if she, if he doesn't know from Viper, if he finds out from Charlie that like he's like, Charlie, can you look into this? And like, you know, maybe that's a thing that happens in two. You know what I mean? Like, I don't I don't know. Yeah. Not that it happens because he knows in this one. But like, no, but he does say to her, like, because you know, they talk about his dad or they bring it up and he's like it's classified and he goes i figured you'd know more about him than i do and right. that's kind of a sting i was like "Ooh, that's a that's a heavy line there and um carries a lot of ways but that never does that would have been a nice payoff if she comes in with like the file one day when he's like really hurting and is like here's the truth and you know all that and why'd you do this why'd you risk your career because i love you 
you know, something like that. Yeah. No, it's obviously classified. So let me tell you this, <laughs> or, or let me ask you this. It's like you want to know who really killed JFK? Also, like, <laughs> what if in the sequel, Maverick's dad really isn't dead, and he comes back? Who plays Tom Cruise's dad? Oh my God! Oh. How old does that actor need to look? So Cruise, so Cruise's character would probably be like fifty-five or sixty. Right. No, he says. Right. No, he says he died in sixty-four, right? Because he, this is like you know twenty-two years earlier. So he'd have to be like seventy-five, eighty. I was gonna say it was, but this is a different character. John Voight was considered for the role of Viper. Maybe John Voight as Cruise's father. That could work. Whoa. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. I want, I don't know why Alan Arkin jumped into my head, but that would <laughs> also fine. William Shatner. Sure. Oh shit. Yeah. Just bring the shadow in. I think my least favorite moment, it's in that same sort of vein. I just feel like the movie kind of unravels a bit when Cruz gets... I I guess it it has to, but when Maverick gets racked with the guilt of Goose dying, even though Meg Ryan doesn't hold it against him, you know, the court-martial doesn't hold it against him. Like, I feel like it's all kind of a little... I know in, in ways a lot of the movie is cliche, but it feels more cliche than it could be or should be. It doesn't resonate as much, and I feel like when we have Wolfman before, like we were saying, has to call be like, oh, Maverick just quit or whatever. It just feels like it could all be handled a little bit better. I don't know. Like, not mm. that it's bad, but I feel like there's so much energy in this movie from start to, basically from start to finish. And then in that 20 minute scene, like his sort of his, you know, his dark night of the soul type of the movie. Like, I know that it has to slow down there narratively, but I just feel like there could be something else that, that, has a little bit of energy there or something. I don't know. It yeah. just feels lacking. You know what it seemed to me? It, it felt like, oh, we want to have Goose die, and then we forgot, like, we have to deal with, like, the fallout a little bit. Like, we can't just put him right back into the cockpit. Like, he has to, there's things you need to deal with. Like, he has to go through some grief here. And, like, right. I was like, when is the trial? And then it was like, as soon as I said that, there's one quick scene where it's like, you didn't do anything wrong. You're free to go. You know, <laughs> like, it just when the movie needs to sort of, deal with story and stretch it out like it does kind of feel like i don't know if it can do this so well like uh, the other thing is like a lot of this feels and this isn't a knock against it i think this is sort of what works a lot well part of the style of it it feels a lot like a really long music video or like several of them kind of linked together maybe like a trapped in your closet kind of situation where there's like several parts to the same music video or something just in the way that tony scott's style and the way he shot it and especially the volleyball scene and stuff so maybe when it just tries to be more like a classical movie and deal with drama like it just can't really keep up you're right man i mean they have to play take my breath away four times before they actually get down to business <laughs> and they, before and they, he takes her breath away and they restart the song every time it's just like oh okay okay <laughs> that does kind of feel like a music video you're totally right or a propaganda video basically just ne- let us never forget what this actually really is at its core well, you know what's crazy joey i feel like taps feels more like brainwashing than this movie and that's got like more of a beware sort of like a cautionary tale to it where this is like no go be a hero you know he's even sitting in front of a poster at one time where it says like navy experience adventure yeah you know (laughs) although i did make a note of taps because in both that movie and this movie he sort of seems to be the natural leader like the leader of men like these people just want to sort of fall in line behind him and out of the here, he's a little bit more reckless, a little bit sort of on his own. But they mentioned very early on that he's got this like history of leadership and stuff. I was like, oh, just like in Taps, like this military thing. Yeah, the the movie does kind of show like as opposed to Taps, like you were saying, you're just kind of it's like kind of like a little discouragement. This movie's like, look at these guys. They're built. 
They're strong. Yep. They are yep. cool. They are the most smooth-talking motherfuckers on the planet. They're going up in the air and, and flying these crazy missions and, and doing something that, you know, only 1% of the people that are doing what they're doing get to do. Like, it is a very much a, look at how cool these guys are. Don't you want to be like them? I did get a little worrisome this time watching it, maybe just because of my age and stuff, but it did kind of at one point teeter on and i know it's not doing this but it just couldn't help but go there it kind of felt like it is the perfect specimen the elite man like look at him in all of his glory because like most of these guys are blonde haired blue eyed perfect bodies all that kind of shit i was like whoa that kind of freaked me out for a minute Yes, but also, it's I mean, like, I, my neurosis. I, I don't, I don't get Nazi vibes from this movie, but I can see where you. I think if Tom Cruise was a blonde, maybe, maybe. So normally, we play our Stanley yourself game where we insert ourselves into the movie as a as a character. I'm going to change here, unless one of you has an idea for this. I want to do what Mike you said earlier. Think of your call sign for the movie. What would your call sign be? Because I think the obvious answer for all of us is that we want to be fighter pilots because it's the coolest thing in the movie. I'm not old enough. I mean, I'm too old. Sorry. Well, <laughs> maybe you can be an instructor. Who knows? But yeah. uh, while you... Th- I'm going to give you guys a little bit of time to think about it. I'm going to run through some trivia quickly because there's a lot of trivia about this. I just want to sort of have uh, time to think because I have mine, but I want to give you guys time to think. I already said mine. I... Well, you, th- you said maybe. You said maybe, Nemesis. So oh, okay, I'm going to give you time okay, to sort I'll of dwell that. on it if you want right, it, if, you, right, if you're sure right. about okay. it. I need zero time. It's probably because, I mean, when you guys first met me, I had a, a very endearing nickname that... Oh, sure. Uh, I guess that's obvious, yeah. I mean, yeah, Call Sign Duke. That's a pretty good one. You know what? I'm going to think of a better one while you give us okay. some trivia. So like I said, this movie won an Academy Award for Best Original Song. It was also nominated but did not win for Best Sound, Best Film Editing, and Best Sound Effects Editing. I was mentioning to Duke before Mike joined that the real Top Gun school imposes a $5 fine to any staff member that quotes the movie, so I think that must have run oh, rampant. Really? It's kind of like a swear jar, just like, oh, you quoted the movie, $5, please. I couldn't, I don't know if I caught it this time, but let's kick the, oh no, that's from Independence Day. <laughs> let's kick the tires and start the fires, or <laughs> kick the fires and start the tire. I always get it mixed up, but I always thought it was from this movie, and I was like, I missed it this time. Oh, because no, it's not in this different movie. movie. When Iceman coughs bullshit in that scene where Tom Cruise is talking about how he inverted, that was a ad lib from Val Kilmer, so everyone reacting to that was genuine. And like I said earlier, the Tom Cruise kissing Kelly McGillis outside was also ad lib. so that was also a genuine reaction there. And like I said, Tony Scott loved it so much that he kept it in the movie. Anthony Edwards' goose is the only actor who did not vomit while he was in the fighter jets. Tom Cruise is three inches shorter than Kelly McGillis, so he had to wear lifts to make him look appear to be the same height. And at the end, when they're at that restaurant, that bar where she plays the song for him, she's actually standing in a trench that they dug so that she looks to be his height. So, <laughs> wow. Movie magic. Her character is based on Christine Fox, a civilian flight instructor the producers met on a visit to Miramar while doing research for this. And she eventually rose through the ranks at the Pentagon, retiring in May 2014 as Acting Deputy Secretary of Defense, the highest post ever held by a woman at the Department of Defense. So she's very really a badass. So good good on you, Christine Fox, who became Charlie. Uh, Stunt pilot Art Scholl was killed while making this movie. Um, and oh. his plane and his body were never recovered. So this movie is dedicated to his memory. And they don't know the uh, the cause of the crash, that he just died while flying. So For the Tom Cruise role of Maverick, of, what's his name, Pete someone? Pete Mitchell, a.k.a. Maverick. We have here 
Matthew Modine turned it down because he objected to the Cold oh. War politics. Birdie himself, yeah, he seems more like an anti-war guy. These actors turned it down, and like, there's a couple in here of particular note to us. Patrick Swayze, Ooh. Emilio Estevez, Nicolas Cage... Wow. Oh, John Cusack, Matthew Broderick, Sean Penn, Michael J. Fox, Scott Bayo, and Tom Hanks all wow. turned it down. Uh, Charlie Sheen, Jim Carrey, Rob Lowe, Kevin Bacon, Eric Stoltz, and Robert Downey Jr. were considered. Charlie Sheen was deemed too young, like Duke was saying, and he would go on to play spoof the role in Hot Shots. John Travolta was considered for the role of Maverick, but his agent's asking price was too high, especially in light of recent box office flops, which I guess this is in that hmm. sort of that era, the, the, the sort of the... Yeah. And he would be rescued, I think, by Amy Heckerling for Look Who's Talking, right? Like, he sort of... She sort oh, of that's right. I forget how hole. early he sort of hit with, like, Saturday Night Fever and mm-hmm. Grease and Welcome Back, Cotter. And, oh, man, thank God we're not doing Travolta Club. We'd have to go wild. Well, actually, Welcome Back, Cotter is a great show, so maybe we... Never mind. But, we, like, we'd we have, we have to go through the dark period that, like, whatever people wouldn't hire him for, right? And then, you know, that Amy Heckerling and then Quentin Tarantino would sort of bring him back to prominence. It seems like he just didn't work. Like, he just wasn't making movies. (laughs) Then he started making some movies again, like, a couple years later when people were, like, remembered him. So Jerry Bruckheimer, to convince Tom Cruise to do this movie, I don't know if they did this with everybody. I don't know if they were just like, we got to have someone. Uh, He didn't want to do it. He wasn't sure if he wanted to do it or not. So they had the Navy take Tom up in the plane. They did five Gs, barrel rolls, everything. He said he's heaving in the plane. Gets on the tarmac, runs to a payphone, said, I'm in, I'm doing the movie, I love it, this is great. So just, you know, gotta get up there, and now you're you're Maverick. Ali Sheedy turned down the role of Charlie Blackwood because she didn't think anyone would want to see a movie about fighter pilots. She said she later regretted that decision, because of course she would. Brooke Shields and Deborah Winger were considered. Also because Ali Sheedy, didn't she go on to do Short Circuit? Ouch. Mm-hmm. With, with Gutenberg, but also with Fisher Stevens. Turning down the role, Tatum O'Neill, Jodie Foster, Daryl Hannah from, from Splash, Ooh, Splash. Uh, Diane Lane, Sarah Jessica Parker, and Linda Hamilton. Huh. Carrie Fisher was considered, but I guess I don't know if she was ever offered or not. She's got like that like Princess Leia strength. Uh, Kenny Loggins was not the first choice to record Danger Zone. They were offered it to Toto and Ario Speedwagon, huh. uh, or they considered them at least before they offered it to Loggins. Wasn't there like supposed to be like a Judas Priest song in this? movie or something yes, like that? Yes, and they thought that this movie would flop, and they were like, no, and then... <laughs> Imagine if they sang Danger Zone. I just, you know, I was driving to get dinner tonight, and Breaking the Law came on, and I was just like, fuck yeah. <laughs> Give me some British steel. It's like white man's F the police. <laughs> A little bit. Both John Carpenter and David Cronenberg turned down the chance to direct, so... Yeah, what? Both no very way. weird directors. I can't see what this movie would have been as a John Carpenter movie. Maverick would have been secretly wanting to to blow up the plane midair or blow up the the military base. I, I don't know. Would have been awesome. Kurt Russell obviously would have been the star. Yeah. So this is kind of a, a crazy uh, story, I guess. But Jimmy Kimmel was talking. Uh, Tom Cruise was on Jimmy Kimmel's show, and they were talking about promoting movies. Jimmy Kimmel asked the first time he had ever traveled the world to, pr- to promote a movie, and he said it was this movie. He said it was Top Gun, and he said that it took four months because every time they went to a new city, he would stay there. He wanted to stay there for a week or two or whatever just to explore the city because you know he's this 23, 24, 25 year old kid or whatever, getting to see the world, getting paid to see the world. And, like, why would you not want to see everywhere, right? This was, like, the first time, according to the story, according to IMDb, who knows if this is right or not, but this is one of the first times, or if not the first time, that this was ever done, that there was, like, a global press tour. And so Jimmy Kimmel made a joke about, like, oh, so it's you who every actor hates who has to go around the world and tour 
Um, you know, because it's like this grind now that every movie you go, you have to do with all these press junkets and stuff. But seemingly, it was Tom Cruise and Top Gun that, you know, started that whole trend. Crazy. I thought that was just always done. I, I guess not. That was just a common thing. But it's pretty thanks, awesome. Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> On behalf of actors everywhere. <laughs> that's. I think that's all the trivia I have. I mean, like I said, there's a ton of trivia mm. On IDB, if you want to go read more about this, but I'm sure there's like tons of dissertations online as well. Like you could go. That actually, there's one other thing that I, I removed, but you reminded me that there is apparently YouTube videos and like forum discussions and debates and dissertations about whether or not it was Maverick's fault that Goose died, like whether it was an accident that he got caught in the jet wash of Iceman's plane, whether he was reckless, whatever. Yeah, no, he even says, watch out for the canopy. It's funny that you, just because just we didn't talk about this at all, but like, if anything, first of all, it's either Iceman's fault because he was being a cocky dick thinking that he mm-hmm. could get it done, or it was the Navy's fault because, I don't know about you, but if I'm going to design an ejection system... I'm going to make sure the canopy gets the fuck out of the way before it launches the pilot straight up into the air. And I was wondering if they were listening back to any black boxes or anything like that, because Goose was like, get in there, get in there, go for it. Like, move, Iceman. Like, this is, you know what I'm like? He wasn't trepidatious about what they were doing. Like, it was business as usual. And then, yeah, when Iceman got out of there, it was whatever, the afterburn or whatever, the caused some kind of jet stream or some airflow that fucked up his... Yeah. He lost both engines. I think he held on as best he could, but then he couldn't reach the eject. So there were too many things going on. It was not Maverick's fault. The internet will have you think otherwise, or the internet will confirm your beliefs. There's whole debates on this, for real. Yeah. (laughs) Interesting. All right, Duke, I gave you time to think. Do you have a better call sign than Duke? Are you going to go with Duke? Of course I'd go with Duke, but I I actually took this time to look up some of the greatest real-life call signs, and I've narrowed it down to two. Christopher Draber, Draper was a British World War I fighter ace, and his um, call sign was the Mad Major. Okay. That one's pretty sweet, but, but the obvious winner, Mr. Frank Luke, a American World War I fighter ace, the Balloon Buster. Ooh, not bad. That's dope. I came up with a new one. What's your new one? This one is definitely a deep reference to... Something from my from my teenage years, but if I was ever going to be in the Navy and get my name on one of those planes, it would have to be uh, call sign Guile Ooh. from Street Fighter 2. Nice. <laughs> Sonic Boom. Maybe mine is now lackluster compared to those, but you know my, my name everywhere on the internet is Soul Pop, so I just go by Soul. You know, when I played Xbox for a while, that's just what people called me, so uh, I think it's short, it's clearly said, and that's just, that's me. I like it. I like it a lot. Nice. Well, I think that was a good uh, substitution, a cool audible on mm-hmm. the fly for the Stanley game. But before we wrap up, uh, I know, Duke, this is one of your favorite childhood movies, maybe one of your still favorite movies. Anything else about this movie that you want to talk about uh, before we close up shop on this episode of Cruise Club? Not really. It's obviously not still one of my favorite movies. I've seen a million times more movies since I've been a child. It's just, it's a nice memory. I remember I saw it for the first time. I was at my great aunt's house in White Plains, and uh, every we play like tag or manhunt with all like the neighborhood kids and my cousins and stuff. And then when it got too late, you know, like the everybody was drinking, the kids might be playing a board game, and I was really one of the youngest there. Like I want to say everyone was at least five, six years older than me. So mm-hmm. I didn't really want to play the board game. So my second cousin, Timmy, would bring me up to like the little lounge room upstairs and he let me like pick a movie and i remember i picked top gun on one of those particular nights and it's just it's just a good memory you know yeah 
when I had my housewarming party this summer, I think I put together a playlist of digital copies of movies that I own. And I remember you coming outside and being like, I don't know what's going on in your living room, but I went in earlier as one movie. Now Top Gun is on. I don't know what's happening, but I love it. It just, it just, uh, <laughs> it's the kind of movie that like you can sort of drop in, drop out of. You can pick up at any time. It's, to use Mike's word, that is Brian's word, it is iconic. It's just, it's just a great movie. And I feel like it's one of those movies that like everybody has seen or everybody's comfortable with and knows and everything. And like, sure, a couple things don't hold up, but like it's just kind of a dumb, fun action movie and just kind of great for a party setting. Like he was saying, it's one of those movies you can just pick up. Because you're saying the plot's kind of thin and yeah. it, it, it's a lot of one-liners. Yeah, it's a, it's a perfect like little popcorn action flick. Now, Mike, what about you? Any other last thoughts before we close up shop on Top Gun? I just am really glad revisiting it was a lot of fun. I guess it, it holds up pretty well. I mean, I don't know how much the Navy's changed since. I know, you know, planes and technology have definitely changed, but, like, I think for the most part, this seems like kind of what it's like, I guess, to be in the Navy, or at least to be in Top Gun, to flight school and stuff. Like, I don't know. I like the depiction of it. I like how it's, like, this hyper-stylized version, like, extra edge to it. Like, you're almost seeing it through, like, life through Maverick's eyes, but also these other guys, like, they're so pumped up and everything and so intense like the world around them kind of comes through that way yeah it's it looks beautiful like it epitomizes the 80s yeah it was just a lot of fun i'm, I'm glad to talk about it. i'm glad to watch it again maybe for the first time i don't know who knows like i was saying earlier i'm not crazy about what we've seen so far for hanks for the memories but you know cruise club has been a joy it's been a ride so far and this is another great example we have an email address here on the show run at cageclub.me if you want to send us email no emails tonight but if you want to say hello, let us know that you're listening. Let us know what your favorite Tom Cruise movie is. You know, if you want to give us your top three, top five, we'll read it on air. Or what movies do you think should be in Tom Cruise's top four on IMDb? Let us know. Run at cageclub.me. We also got a Patreon page, patreon.com slash cageclub, where you can go on and you can kick us a few bucks, control what we watch, either entire podcasts or just single movies. Now, before we get to the Tom Cruise Awards... Before we get to the golden volleyballs, and that's that's Hanks. Before we get to the golden sunglasses, I think we determined, right? The golden sunglasses, the golden aviators, the golden Ray-Bans, whatever. Two important questions. Number one, does Tom Cruise run in this movie? I don't know that he does. Oh, I don't think so. I mean, oh, this man. is all about speed. He's all about flying fast and riding his motorcycle fast, but I don't think he runs. Does he technically run for the ball when he's playing volleyball? Ooh, Ooh maybe yeah. a couple. Quick but is it a steps run or is it like there. a? Well, okay, okay. Like I expected him to have because it's crazy. Like he has a Rocky Four moment in this movie where he like gets on his bike and just fucking drives the thing. In the same way that, like, when Rocky gets into an argument with Adrian about fighting in Russia, he gets into his Lamborghini to think. It would have been great if he ran, if mm -hmm. he was, like, training and he was running and had that, like, just kept running and running and running because he was so, like, deep in thought, but it didn't happen. There is a great scene where he's on the motorcycle and he's riding it as the plane takes off. He just, like, fist pumps the plane, just like, yeah, pilots, uh, which I, <laughs> you know, I loved. <laughs> You could make the argument that since he was, I mean, he does at one moment in, in the last scene say that he's, he's going supersonic. You could make the argument that he's going so fucking fast in this movie that he doesn't need to run. Where yeah. we're going, we don't need to run. Second question, obvious answer, yes. 
Yes, in two different ways. Duke, there is a uh, there's a there's a Twitter account or somebody on Twitter named Harperfect tweeted something to the effect of, "You could replace Tom Cruise's name in any movie with the name Lightning McQueen, and it wouldn't change a thing." Could Tom Cruise's character in this movie be called Lightning McQueen? I'm going to say absolutely yes. I'm also going to say that Lightning or McQueen are both dope-ass call signs. All of this, fully, 100% yes. Oh, 100 fucking percent, dude. Mm-hmm. Now, now that you say that, McQueen might be my favorite call sign. It's super cool. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm in agreement, too. That's all around. I think also, maybe maybe not just Queen, but one of my favorite bands, Queens of the Stone Age, and they had a question at one point, like, why are you Queens of the Stone Age? Like, why is that, like, because you're a bunch of dudes? And they said because the band name Kings of the Stone Age was too manly, and they needed to, like, dial it down a little bit. So I think, like, Queen as a call sign is kind of cool, too, but McQueen is even better, so I think all well, of that's that's... Well, that's kind of... It felt like Goose. They called him Mother Goose a lot, yeah. and I was like, well, that's interesting. I like... That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. The Tom Cruise Awards, the Golden Sunglasses, best film. I'm going to put it up there. We already have Risky Business there. Top Gun. Well, best such Cruise such a different role, film, too. but, like, two such very good films. Mm-hmm. But, man, they couldn't be more different. One is uplifting and positive, aside from the fact that Goose dies. The other one is just kind of bleak and depressing, but also kind of a comedy. Best cruise role, yes. Most badass role, I'm going to say, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, like I said earlier, like this is what I know Cruise, how I had thought of Tom Cruise for a long time when I heard his name. So like a lot of these are going to, a lot of those boxes are going to get checked by me. Would this be, I mean, I'm trying to think about what else came before this, but would this be Tom Cruise's like first really badass? I mean, was, was all the right moves before this? It was, but... Yeah, but that's not a badass no, movie. No, that's not a badass movie. I'm just saying that's like, he's playing the asshole, you know what I mean? The only other role that we have nominated so far is Cadet Captain David Sean in Taps. So it's, again, that military Ooh, style, that military mind. <laughs> yes. This is definitely more badass. I agree. Question here, because this is not exactly the, the, the spirit of the question, or the spirit of the category. Best fight. We have David Sean versus the world in Taps. The sword fight versus darkness in the legend, in legend, and the rumble in the outsiders. Do we want to have the uh, flight battle against five Migs? I think yes. I, that's weird. I didn't consider that because for some reason, when we're saying best fight, for, I'm thinking like hand to hand combat yeah. or something. Yeah, but now that you say it, I mean, I mean, uh, hell yeah for me. Like, I, like I said, like it's some great dog fighting. You don't see that a lot in movies these days either. Like flight battle versus five Migs in Top Gun. Best theme song slash soundtrack slash score. Slash score. Uh, I mean, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Best car chase, none. Well, no, there. Wait, hold on. Now, it's not there. quite a full on car chase, but <laughs> Charlie gets into her car and chases after Maverick on his motorcycle. And that's when they kiss on the side of the road. He's like, Are you crazy? I love that line. He's just like, And you think I'm reckless? Well, is that as good as escaping from Guido in Risky Business or running from the cops and Marines and Mexicans oh, in losing no, it? No, no, no. No. <laughs> Best dance scene? Mm, does he really think, dance? Don't think so. No, there's people dancing at the bar when he's singing, but he's not really shuffling his feet. Best outfit wardrobe, I'm saying flight outfit in Top Gun. Oh. But even that sailor outfit he's in at the bar, right? The all white one? Like, he's pulling that off. Yep. All those guys are. I'm surprised how well they're all pulling off 
all those uniforms. Not not to mention the the the, the volleyball sequence. He was looking <laughs> he was looking pretty good there, guys. Or volleyball. Best lack of a wardrobe. Best sunglasses, absolutely Top Gun. Best death. He does not die in here, so we're not gonna we're not gonna have that. Best line. So this is this is what's tricky. So my favorite mm-hmm. line that I was saying before when we talked about our favorite moment is you know that that interaction back and forth with him and Iceman. You know you can be my wingman anytime. And he says bullshit. You can be mine. Like, I feel like that's a great line, but I don't know, just Tom Cruise's part on its own doesn't quite hold up, if that makes sense, because it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's like a call and response. But is there a line that he says in this movie, we got the knee of the knee for speed, right? Like, it has to be. There's that. I mean, there's one, it's not that great, but it made me laugh, but he just, because it's such a weird insult, he just goes up to Slider, and he goes, Slider? And he goes, you stink. You stink. <laughs> <laughs> It's a it's a nice little moment right there because it, there's no reason there's I mean he's not sweating he's just sitting there like completing forms or some kind of test and he just walks up to him, he's like hey man you smell you stink I guess he's he's interacting with Charlie but I do love how the first one go oh a crash and burned on the first time and the second it's like I don't know I'll I'll, I'll let you know in the morning and I like that that comes back at the end too that they have it sort of in not in reverse it's the same thing but she sort of knows how it's going to play out oh I love at the end when he's sitting in the bar and the song comes on and he's like it, it could it be and then he's like no nah, it couldn't be but it was. And he turns around and then she's there. Yeah, he picks up his jacket in a way that he's like, I don't want to hear this song. Like, it's bringing up bad memories, but also maybe it's her. And so, like, I feel like he picks it up like, to leave. Or he goes over to see it and then she shows up. And I, I just love... There's that... Like, I can't believe it's not all over Google. I couldn't find it. But there's that scene, or the, the shot of him at the jukebox and her sort of in silhouette behind him. And, like, it's just such a, it's such a cool shot. Yeah, get on it, Google. What are you get doing? Get on it, Google. <laughs> what was the other line? There's another line that I wrote down. Uh, he's talking about Ice Man. He's like, "That's right, Ice Man. I am dangerous." Like it's just movie's cool, full of cool lines. And then when Val Kilmer just like chomps his teeth at him in retort at, for something, you know, <laughs> he's just like, "Yeah, chomp." <laughs> Best freakout. Is there a, a moment or a, a rant that he has that we want to say a freakout? I mean, there's you know, some like sort of animated, but I feel like there's not like a like a it's beautiful man, beautiful the end of taps or you know, oh, there's a freak out. Worse risky business. What is it? Uh, when he gets off the plane with sundown because he won't engage. Oh, that's right. And he's just like, I'll fire when I'm goddamn ready to fire. Okay. I don't know if it's a good one. I'm just saying, yeah, there's there's a freak out. It was a short one, but yeah. I'll, right I'll do it. Tarmac. Best sex scene, take my breath away. I mean, that's the one thing I'm not going to vote for in this, you know? I personally thought it would have been more interesting if it wasn't even sure. in the movie but b it's just like it's the quickest shortest it's tasteful but it's like this one shot kind well of the uh, so. the the competition right now is around the house with rebecca de mornay in risky business or on the train and then in quotes you coward says walt in risky business so risky business with two nominations yep. mm-hmm. <laughs> most athletic feat is there something that he does in this movie oh. that stacks up like anything just flying one of those fighter jets so this is, again, a, a question of what this category actually means. He actually, in Mission Impossible Fallout, he's flying a helicopter, right? Here, okay. he's not. I don't think it's the character as much as, like, actually Tom Cruise, the actor, like, holding his breath for six minutes underwater in Rogue Nation. Or, okay. you know, doing a backflip off a car in The Outsiders. Right, or whatever, right, you know right. I mean? So, like, if there was something amazing during, like, the volleyball fight, yes. if he did, like, a cartwheel or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he does He does a lot of exceptionally crazy stuff. And I'm not saying, because I agree, fighter pilots, just like NASCAR pilot, NASCAR dra- drivers, 
NASCAR racers, NASCAR drivers, whatever. They should call those guys pilots, though. <laughs> they're athletes. Like they, it, it requires a level of focus and concentration and skill that is unparalleled. Like I'm not saying that that's not athletic. I just think that the spirit of this category is, is the actor doing something? And I don't think that okay. he is. Yeah, I don't either. Best running scene, not yet. Best love story or worst love story? Do we want to... I feel like it's kind of in between, sort well, of. Like it's between not... who and who? Who's the love? Oh. Is it Iceman and uh, Maverick? <laughs> is it Iceman or is it Goose? Or, or is, is it, it Goose? Charlie? There is so right. much sexual tension between almost every single one of the characters that Maverick interacts with, I, I couldn't even tell you. I'm going to say Maverick and... Goose slash Iceman. There we go. I'm also going to put this up for best ensemble cast because I feel like we were yeah. talking about before. Everybody's just great. Everybody's. I didn't great. even know Tim Robbins was in this until the credits, and then because I, I didn't know that he was the guy in the back of like flying with Tom Cruise in the end of the movie. But like, just knowing that makes it better. <laughs> like, just knowing that you know, like these faceless people went on to become like big actors and stuff. Like you yeah. can just kind of feel the energy. Yeah. Best or worst non-Cruise actor, male or female, I've got to throw out Val Kilmer as Iceman for best. Yeah. Kelly McGillis as Charlie for best. I mean, great debut from Meg Ryan. Yes, I would agree. I think that she's going to get her due over on Hanks for the Memories, though. You know no, what I mean? I agree with that, too. Yeah. Oh, that's right. She's going to eventually... Mm-hmm. She's, she's his go-to. She's his... Kind of, in a way, like his Sandy to Keanu. Which, yeah. by the way... I don't know if you saw that story. Yep. Again, this is another Keanu Club story. That's not necessarily a Cruise Club story, but we did it. It's all but but no one's one going to be show. listening to the replicas episode. Exactly. We'll talk about this. <laughs> Duke, I don't know if you saw this, but apparently there was a version of the Matrix where Sandra Bullock played Neo. Yes, I have heard about that. I want that movie. I want that movie. Like I love Keanu Reeves because I love the Matrix. We did Keanu Club basically because I love the Matrix. Like I mean, obviously, you know, Mike loves it too. But I was just like, we need to do this because I need to talk about this movie. So there's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot going into that very specific vision by the Wachowskis in the Matrix with Keanu Reeves as the lead. Man, I want a Sandra Bullock as Neo movie. Man, oh man. There are a bunch of, I mean, I love Sandra Bullock. She's, I'm not going to say she's like, if somebody asked me who my favorite actress is, I don't think I'd say Sandra Bullock, but like, she's phenomenal. She's really good. I don't know that she would play Neo today, but I don't see why he couldn't be reincarnated as a woman. You know, it's just a bunch of code in the Matrix, right? Like anyone could be the one. Well, so I think, you know, one thing that we will talk about when we eventually get to the Wachowskis for Cinemakers, which one thing I think I might have talked about maybe on a Keanu Club episode, um, and I know I will talk about on Magic Mike's whenever we get to it years and years down the line, is that I think Jupiter Ascending is a very fascinating movie, because I think in a lot of ways it is the Matrix, but I think it's a gender swap Matrix, and I think made by the same people, but made by two women instead of two men. And I think that the Mila Kunis character, Jupiter, in ways, is very similar to Neo, because I think she is unaware of her destiny and sort of powerless for most of the movie. And I just think it's a very similar story, a gender-swapped story. I think seeing the movie made by two men and then seeing that movie made by two women, I think it's just a very interesting dynamic. So I would absolutely agree that Neo could be a woman, because I think Jupiter Jones, in a lot of ways, is sort of kind of Neo. Just curious, if you had to... Because, I mean, I feel like you'd want to swap out a couple of the genders if you wanted, but if Sandra Bullock was Neo... Who would play Hugo Weaving's character? Ooh, Agent Smith. Who would play Agent Smith? A female Agent Smith. Kate I mean, Blanchett. Like Kate Blanchett. Yeah. Oh my oh. god. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a slam dunk. Like there's there's no other choice. That would be fantastic. Maybe Tilda. Maybe Tilda. Maybe right? Tilda. But also, I mean, Australian. Number one. Number two, menacing. Number three, great actor. Yeah, Kate Blanchett. 
I actually there was a, there was a piece on Birth Movies Death, and I know this is becoming a Matrix talk, and I'm going to wrap it up soon. But there was a piece on Birth Movies Death that because this is the 20th anniversary of the Matrix, there's a lot of think pieces about it, and I'm having a great time reading about it in a similar way that I'm having a great time of like sites writing about Spring Breakers because the Beach Bum is in theaters and go see the Beach Bum because it's fantastic. If it's still in theaters, I don't know if it still will be by next Friday. Anyway, there was a piece on Birth Movies Death about how reading the Matrix as a trans story is fascinating about how not feeling comfortable with your body. There's all sorts of subtext like this. Trans writer on Birth Movies Death wrote this like really, really interesting piece, looking at the movie in a way that I've never looked at it before. But I think the gender swap of, you know, Sandra Bullock as Neo, as Kate Blanchett as Agent Smith, you know, maybe a maybe a dude as Trinity, or maybe not. I don't know. Um, but I think that there's a lot of fascinating thought exercises, I guess, to be had about recasting and reshaping the Matrix with certain kind of themes in mind do they get into like how like residual self-image would work and stuff like that i don't remember i don't think they did that's the, the, interesting the one thing that was really that i that sticks in my brain is that like early when neo first meets trinity and he's like shit i always thought you were a guy and she says most guys do it's this vision of what of not being sure of gender and you know f- sort of gender fluidity and like the male is female and stuff like that and i think there's like there's a lot of very interesting the sort of the the thesis statement of it all is like how people before it be i mean it's still like it's still a, the society is still terrible to these people and like it's all like we need to be so much better about this whole topic as a whole back 20 years ago when we were like way worse than we are now trans people and like people who like didn't feel comfortable in their own body like took to the internet right and like found support online because the people in their real in the real world or whatever didn't necessarily support them in the way that they needed and i think that's a whole that's the whole like thesis statement that like neo is this person searching for something online and finding this acceptance in the matrix and like it's this whole really fascinating thing it's not a super long piece um, i would suggest checking that out especially if you listen to me babble about it for five minutes but uh, go check it <laughs> well, out well that's definitely something if they bring the matrix back like they could dive even deeper into that whole residual self-image mm-hmm. thing because like as much as i give it a lot of shit i actually quite like that about ready player one the way that a lot of people you know can do their avatars could literally yeah. be anything you if you want to be beetlejuice that's fine or whatever and like the guy's yeah. doesn't realize his best he doesn't know his own best friend's gender and like it's great it's never really a thing that was well done there yeah that would they could really go nuts nowadays in the matrix with that yeah with that theme. i mean i don't want them to reboot the matrix but if they're going to and it sounds like they might uh, I think that's absolutely a great way to go. Joey, will will it make money? Of course. Then it's going to probably happen. Eventually. I know. I know. <laughs> well, Duke, uh, or McQueen, I should call you, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Uh, you will be back, I believe, for A League of Their Own on Hanks with Memories, and then Saving Private Ryan and the Polar Express, and then, of course, you have to be come back for whenever Top Gun colon Maverick comes out. You'll be back yes. on the show to talk about that movie because you're our Top Gun expert. I appreciate it, guys, and and I've been holding this back the entire time that we've been we doing this podcast, and I just very pleasantly want to tell all of you, Danger Zone. <laughs> <laughs> Go watch Archer. Next movie that we're doing is The Color of Money, which I do not know about, which I just wow, learned I tonight for the first time. Already. Is uh, Martin Scorsese? Scorsese. You told me something, Mike, on a, I think it was either Cage Club Revisited or an early Cruise Club, that that's a prequel or a sequel to another movie, and I don't remember what that movie is. Don't it tell me. Was, I won't tell you what the prequel or sequel to the movie was, but it was on the Outsiders episode. Ooh, boy, that does not help. 
Um, <laughs> no, it won't help, but I'm just saying, like, yeah. But it's a sequel to something. Color of Money. You know, if this was a Joe 2 guess, he would say it's something about the color green, if you will. The Color of Money, I know this is wrong. I'm going to say it's a prequel, even though it came out the same year, to Wall Street, that Tom Cruise is a young stockbroker. I guess the Shia LaBeouf in Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps, uh, that he's new to the firm, and he gets taken under the wing of a Gordon Gecko type. It's basically Wall Street, but it's with Tom Cruise. Oh, so instead of Charlie Sheen, we get the Tom Cruise version. Yeah, because I, I couldn't remember who was actually in Wall Street aside from Michael Douglas. But yes, that's a terrible guess. I don't remember what it's a sequel to or prequel to. All I can think of right now is Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, which I know it's not, because that's just the Anne Hathaway oh. Rebel Wilson. Or is it? But even Dirty Rotten yeah, it is. And even Dirty Rotten Scoundrels was a David Niven. And uh, anyway, that was also a already a movie. So Dirty Rotten Scoundrels is a remake, and then the new one is a remake of that. Hmm. We'll find out in two weeks whether my guess is right or wrong. Hint, it's probably wrong. But I believe Greg McLennan of the Draft House will be joining us for that one, unless schedules do not allow. I've seen The Color of Money so many times. I really really. Oh, yeah, I've seen it a lot because, and we'll get into it when we watch it, but it like sparked a extracurricular activity uh, for me and my friends. Oh, wow. Point, okay. So. so two weeks in The Color of Money. Every other Friday, this alternates with Hanks for the Memories. But go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram to keep up with Cruise Club, Hanks for the Memories, all 25 shows on our network. We are now on Threadless if you want to buy Nicolas Cage's face on a shower curtain, on a skateboard, on a water bottle, please, Nicholas Cage, do not send us a cease and desist. Go to cageclub.threadless.com. There's so many things up there. Uh, we got Cage Club stuff up there. we got an Access for Podcast thing up there. We've got a Too Fast, Too Forever thing up there that might not be great quality. Go check that out, cageclub.threadless.com. Like we said earlier, run at cageclub.me if you want to email us, and patreon.com slash cageclub if you want to control what we watch. Come back next week on Hanks for the Memories for The Man with One Red Shoe. And come back in two weeks on this very feed for The Color of Money on Cruise Club. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Dan the Duke McQueen Hayden. And we'll see you in two weeks for The Color of Money right here on Cruise Club.